probably not unlike uh, most of you, uh, I receive in the mail uh, most every day of every week uh, invitations. Uh, not that I have any sense of popularity. It's really uh, they want me to come so that I can give something, so that I can buy something. Uh, maybe not unlike you, uh, about 95% of the mail that I get, someone is asking me for something and inviting me to come to something so that they can get something from me. Just simply the way of the world, we're all invited to events. Uh, generally, there's an agenda. But we come to the general invitation of God to the world. Uh, we have nothing to give. He can gain nothing from us if we gave anything, and really anything that we could give has no merit whatsoever. It's the majesty of God in issuing to us this morning the greatest invitation of all time based upon the greatest person and work of all time, and it is without any cost whatsoever. Uh, the invitation is, again, I think a reference uh, not to the efficacious call of God, but to the general call of God. Uh, and it's cast in the venue of food and drink. Uh, the form and the text of the invitation really breaks upon 12 imperatives. God's doing more than asking. He's, he's commanding, but it is in the form of an invitation. And the address uh, begins to the one that is thirsty. Uh, you and I know that uh, spiritually that is everybody. Everybody is born. Uh, totally depraved and incredibly thirsty, whether they know it or not. Uh, but God says to the thirsty, come to the waters, come by and eat. And then there's a very strange modifier. Uh, you who have no money. It is a profound uh, reminder uh, that no one could afford what God is inviting us to because the object is priceless and the broke cannot pay. And so it's a profound invitation, general though it may be, uh, to come and to receive and to plunder the treasury of the merits of God, a treasury that we could come and plunder would never run out. Unlike our pantries, they always run out. We're always having to provision them restock the shelves, go to the store, get something that we failed to purchase. God's pantry never runs out. And the majesty of the grace of God that we can come, we're invited to come, and we do not have to bring money. And there's nothing that we could bring to merit his favor. It is a general invitation of the marvelous, majestic grace of God. We're to come without money or ability to pay, meaning that we are freely to receive the divine provisions and blessing. And again, I remind you that because the gift is priceless, uh, we could never bring enough. Uh, we could own every dollar and every bank throughout the world and it wouldn't be enough. And therefore, God freely offers a salvation and a general call of the gospel. And we can eat and drink for free because the servant paid the price. It's most important to recognize that this general invitation to come and to plunder the grace of God in all of its majesty and all of its depth and height, width, 
the unfathomable grace of God that could never run out. Proximity is uh, the last great servant song, Isaiah chapter 53. Therefore, it's the grace of God that invites us to come. And grace, of course, uh, beyond the fact that it's unmerited favor, it is a source that will never run out. Uh, the treasury of God uh, meets us at every point in our incredible need. Uh, it's marvelous because he pays the price and we receive the blessings procured for us. The repetition of the text enforces that you cannot buy grace, but it's really more than the fact that we cannot buy it. There are no barriers to it. One of the great vagaries of the world today and the religions of the world is uh, we put up barriers. There are no barriers to the grace of God. Remember a number of years ago, I was going on a pheasant trip to Kansas, and I stepped into a uh, really, really run-down store. And then on the wall was this incredible sign, uh, God doesn't call the qualified. Uh, because none of us are qualified. It's a measure of the grace of God. He calls the unqualified. He calls those that are broke and bankrupt. And he asks them to plunder the majesty of his grace. That we are to receive freely by faith what God the Son and God the Spirit has accomplished for us. Again, as you know, uh, the great reminder of the Protestant Reformation by faith alone. We have nothing with which to secure the merits of his blessing. And so we come, faith alone, nothing else. We could not work long enough or hard enough to curry the favor of God, and therefore it's a general invitation to come and to receive all that he has done. Uh, that the promise is messianic is clear, not just because of the servant song, but because of the New Testament use of Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1. Let's turn to some of those uses. The first uh, is one uh, that we've looked at on a number of occasions uh, because of its use uh, by John, use of Isaiah. John chapter 7. The great feast, the high priest would uh, take a pitcher and uh, secure water and then pour it out before uh, the altar. And at some point in that feast, Jesus gives to us this incredible promise to come to him. John chapter 7 and verse 37 and 38. Now on the last day, the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as the scriptures have said, he who believes in me from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So, of course, the promise is in verse 37. We can come to Christ, no qualifications. Jesus doesn't say, if you have enough in your bank account, you can come. Jesus doesn't say, if you qualify yourself, you can come. He issues an invitation that all can come, no qualifications whatsoever. The outcome, again, the majesty of the provision of God. We come, and what does he do? From our innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. A rivers that has no end. 
uh, the headwaters of the grace of God in the provision of the Spirit. And of course, uh, it's defined uh, in verse 39, by this he spoke of the Spirit, to whom those who were going to believe were, were going to receive. Uh, the majesty of the grace of God. It's an allusion to Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1. If you're thirsty, you go to Christ. Every other river will run dry. Every other provision will fail save him. And so it's the important in the sense of the urgency of the call to go to but one, that is Christ, and he never runs out. Provision of his spirit. I'm acquainted with this all the time in my life. I have to continually pay my water bill. Imagine that. If I fail to pay it, they'll shut it off. There are no qualifications to God. The provision of the Spirit is never shut off. He never sends me a bill and say, well, this month you owe uh, whatever the city tells me I owe. Uh, once a week, sometimes twice, I have to fill up my car. It runs out of gas. God never runs out in providing and provisioning his people the mercies of his grace. It's the pointedness of the invitation to come to Christ. And what you get is marvelous grace, the provision of the Spirit. Fulfillment in Jesus with the water, the blessings of the Spirit, and coming is equated with believing. Some of you are probably going to say, well, isn't that qualification? Well, in a measure it is, but if you understand the grace of God, even your believing is the product of his grace, the spirit moving upon your heart. For that matter, even coming to Christ is the product of his grace. For apart from his grace, we would never come. But it's the pointedness of the invitation, no qualifications whatsoever. One object, all may come, one object, Christ. And what you get is incredible, rivers of living water. Jesus, therefore, is the divine provision for the thirsty. And know it or not, you are thirsty in this dry and barren world. There's another place, uh, again, used by uh, John the Apostle where this text is alluded to. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 6. And the reason we're going to the New Testament use of Isaiah chapter 51 is uh, to concretize the reality that the fulfillment of water is in Jesus, that all that are thirsty may come to him. Isaiah chapter 21, verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. What a great reminder once again. We couldn't bring enough money. If we owned all of the gold that had ever been mined throughout the centuries, it wouldn't be enough to purchase that which is priceless. And Jesus Christ and the promise and the provisions of his grace. What a great reminder in our culture. Everything seemingly is about money. Not so with God. Thanks be to God because of that. Because none of us would ever have enough or could bring enough uh, to buy what is freely given uh, to those who come to the Savior. The context of Revelation 21 is the end state of the new creation and the consummation of our marriage relationship with God stated in the first five verses. But I love the way that the, that the sixth verse begins. It is done. 
the new creation completed. God finishes it because of his power as creator. And that's confirmed by the two titles that are merisms that follow. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Uh, you and I know the Greek alphabet, Alpha, Omega, but it's every letter in between because God owns every letter of the alphabet. More importantly, beginning and the end. He is every point in between. He's sovereign over everything and everyone. And he is the one who can freely give and never run out. And based upon his sovereignty, notice again the text. I will give to the one who thirsts. The great promise of God. There are no qualifications. You come, he gives. Majesty of God. He gives to the thirsty the blessings of eternal life. And if you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 7, which as well confirms that Christ uh, is the object of this general invitation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. For the Lamb in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Lots of tears in life. Lots of water from God. His grace and his spirit guiding us to eternal springs. I'm not unmindful uh, in our own country in days gone by as the settlers uh, spread throughout the land. They would oftentimes uh, build their cities or their camps or their forts or their businesses next to wells or springs for the obvious reason. It's wise to do that when Jesus Christ is an eternal well that never runs out. The last allusion of John uh, to Isaiah chapter 51 in the book of the Revelation is uh, chapter 22 and verse 17. Uh, the book obviously is ending and so the general invitation and the spirit and the bride say, come, let the one who hears come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. You could never qualify yourself enough to earn the rivers of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's really quite tragic in the church today that we think we have to qualify ourselves. There are no qualifications point of the grace of God. It's the reality that he accepts and he chooses, he elects and he calls those that are unqualified and he is the one that qualifies them in the gift of the Son and the gift of the Spirit. I'll give you another application of this from the prophet that follows Isaiah, Jeremiah chapter 2. It's a reminder uh, to those who do not come. Jeremiah chapter 2, the 13th verse. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What a great picture of religion. 
the philosophies of life that absent Jesus Christ, we reject God. And we hew false hopes that eventually leak and run out and become dry. False and corrupt religions and philosophies of life all leak and become empty, leaving one thirsty throughout all eternity. Just simply the mad race of American culture to turn away from God, to hew your own cistern that will run dry, come up empty. The reminder of the text and the call, the general call of the prophet Isaiah is that Christ is the sole provision for a dry and thirsty land. He alone is spiritual life. He alone will provide for you forever. And yet Isaiah in his wisdom uh, gives to us the folly of, uh, of, of not answering uh, the invitation. First part of verse 2, Isaiah chapter 55. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? It's a metaphor for every attempt outside of Christ to find spiritual life and meaning and purpose. They will all come up empty. They will all run short. They will all run out. They do not work. In our culture, we have countless seminars, religions, and every imaginable element in materialism to either dull the pain or to incite passing pleasures. And they will all fail. They're temporary solutions to eternal issues of which only God can provide. On the journey to heaven and even reaching the destination of heaven, they're the rivers of the living God to see us safely there and provide for us a world without end in the grace of God, a well that will never run dry. That Christ, again, heals the heart in forgiveness and peace and it is free. You don't have to qualify yourself. He does the qualifying at the cross. An illustration of this tragic story I was reading a number of months back in the Wall Street Journal. Title of the article is Napalm Girl. You know, for those of you who perhaps are something of my age that can remember the Vietnam War, but in 1972, there was a young girl nine years old, who found herself in the wrong place in the wrong time. Friendly forces uh, dropped napalm much too close to her and changed her life forever. I don't know if you know anything about napalm. I'm sure you don't really want to know that much about it, but it is an incredibly powerful weapon. Uh, against unprotected troops, and a nine-year-old girl in 1972 was just such a one. It burned every stitch of clothing off of her and incredibly burned her entire body. There was a picture taken of this young girl running in incredible pain, and that picture went on to win the Pulitzer Prize for photography in that year. Uh, she spent the next 10 years uh, running from the communists, trying to find 
some solution for her pain and agony, her anger and her bitterness. Christmas Eve, 1982, she goes to church. Here's a gospel message. Comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Wakes up the next morning, Christmas Day. And she knew her life had been changed. She goes on to write a book, and in that book, she says, I continue to have to seek treatments for my neck, my back, and my arms, but my heart is healed. That is the river that never runs dry, that we could never, ever buy or purchase, that never sends to us a bill, that God in his grace and mercy heals our hearts, not just in time. If you're not a Christian, remember Napalm Girl, that bombs chased her to the Savior and eventually became, in the providence of God, the element of salvation, Napalm Girl. God healed her heart. If you're searching all the nooks and crannies of uh, intellectual America, corporate America, cultured America, they will all come up empty. They will all lead you onto a cul-de-sac. There are no answers for life and purpose and meaning save Jesus Christ. And the invitation here is a general unto all. You don't even have to qualify yourself. You simply come as you are. You come to the Savior, and you get everything. The words of Christ, John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life, and you might have it abundantly a life that will never run out. That's incredible. The invitations picked up again after the, uh, the reminder of what we do when we turn away from God and we forget God and we hew out our own philosophies and our own religions, uh, perhaps learning that they will all come up empty much too late in life, if not too late in eternity. Again, latter part of verse 2, the invitation Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me and listen that you may live. To me, God says, you go anywhere else, you're going to come up empty. They'll take everything you have and leave your pockets drawn inside out. Nothing will answer save Christ. And so God says in terms of his invitation, you come to me. Eat what is good. The parallel, delight your soul in abundance. It's an important reminder that uh, the prophet is addressing the soul of man. That every man ever been born has a soul. And the ultimate provision for the soul is the grace of God. It's a reminder that we give ourselves to what is shallow and it sets up a leanness of the soul. The soul of man will never die. It's an eternal element of our beings. And yet the soul that belongs to God will live forever. And one day, of course, united to the body, the greatness of the end-time new creation which Christ has effected. 
illustration of this, I think, in our own culture. You, you probably have a favorite restaurant. Uh, uh, mine closed a number of uh, months ago. Simply no demand for it. Uh, I went maybe once a year because it was kind of pricey, but, you know, you got to celebrate every now and then and go to a place that's really good. It was high-end, therefore, you know, save up to go to it. Had high-end food. Uh, uh, in other words, there were no French fries at this restaurant. And I don't mean that to say that condescending. But how many, uh, how many restaurants are there like that in Oklahoma City compared to fast food restaurants? They're everywhere. Cheap, fast, quick, tastes good. And yet if that's all that you lived on, it would set up a leanness of nutrition in your own body. I think there's a tragic parallel to that in the church today. How can we make it cheap and easy so we can get them all to come? To vacate the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God. They don't want to hear that anyway. Vacate the uh, eternality of the provision of the Spirit, all of the promises of God that never come up empty. Make it quick and easy. The American church today. God comes to meet the leanness of the soul and the provisions of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of which he's the only provision, that you can build in your churches all the basketball courts you want, you can have all of the symphonies, you can take all the ski trips and all of the world, and I'm not saying in and of itself those things are necessarily wrong, but what we really need in church is the grace of God in Jesus Christ who confronts us in our souls that we might live forever. We have a way of chasing that which is cheap and empty. And so God meets us, just like he met Napalm Girl. He brings us up to himself and provides for us all throughout life, on into eternity, a river that never runs out. It's a good reminder that the priority of life should be the soul. Our priority in our culture is everything but. I have this tragic reminder in my own upbringing of my sons that you go to sports places on a Sunday and uh, for soccer or softball or whatever it is that uh, young people are playing. And it's incredible on Sunday. Those stadiums are packed out. Those practice fields are packed out. And I ask myself, is there no time for the soul for our young children where Christ meets them and provides for their soul? I mean, how many young boys in America do you think that are ever going to play professional basketball? I mean, the number is minuscule. But the general call of the gospel is to everyone. The qualifications to play professional basketball are incredible. They are incredible athletes. There are no qualifications to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that God is food for the soul that will last and bless throughout time. It's a parallel to this in the book that we oftentimes ascribe to Solomon, the wisest man in all the world. Proverbs chapter 9. Invitation, a beautiful invitation from a personified woman 
marvelous grace. Wisdom has built her house. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has prepared her food. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maidens. She calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says, come, eat of my food and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake your folly and live and proceed in the way of understanding. Christ is wisdom personified, inviting. The fare of his table is incredibly sumptuous. There are no lack to those who come to him. The wine will not run out from this meal. He calls for people to come. If you're not a Christian, you should come. This uh, text, I think, is alluded to uh, by Matthew and his, uh, his gospel. Uh, great reminder of, of the feast. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, in verses 4 and 5. He sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat and livestock. All are butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his farm, another to his business. This general invitation of the gospel cascades throughout time in every city, town, village, and hamlet. And people forsake God to hew out for themselves cisterns that hold nothing and it will all run dry. May it not be so of us. Well, I began my lesson this morning by saying that uh, in terms of the general call of the gospel, there are no qualifications. Uh, we don't qualify ourselves. We cannot. The provision is priceless. We have not enough to buy. We simply receive the grace of God. But the text in uh, Isaiah turns from the fact that we come without qualification uh, to speak to the qualifications of Christ. Meaning, of course, that he is the one who qualifies us. So we turn from provision to the promise. Blessing contains the promise of renewal, uh, beginning in verse, uh, second part of verse 3 of the Davidic covenant. I mean, you know the story. That God made a covenant with David that his kingdom and throne would endure forever. Uh, to remind ourselves of this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. God makes a covenant with, table, with David and promises him an eternal kingdom and throne. 2 Samuel 7. Verses 15 16. My loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. Isaiah, I think, in a measure, is alluding to the Davidic covenant, reminding us that Christ is that Messiah. The everlasting covenant breaks upon Christ. Now, we know this, for example, uh, in the words of the Apostle Paul, a book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. The importance of this covenant is that God makes a covenant with David, but ultimately fulfilled by Christ. It means that when we belong to him, 
we are partakers of the eternality of the blessings of that covenant without end, a kingdom that will be without end. And Paul confirms that. Acts chapter 13 and the 34th verse. And as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. That we become sons of the covenant, the grace of God, the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. And it's so incredibly great. Why would you not come to such a one? Certainly the general call of the God, of God, to come to him who is solely qualified, the greater son of David. Promise, of course, is messianic. The servant's songs are messianic. This covenant is unconditional and unmerited. By coming to the resurrected Christ, you come under covenantal protection and the security of an inviolable covenant that establishes a kingdom without end. Think of it. The kingdom of the pharaohs, how's that working out? The kingdom of the Caesars, how's that working out? The kingdom of Babylon, how's that working out? The kingdom of Christ is safe and secure. It works out. In the Son, you are sons of the king and heirs. So the first qualification of Messiah, who qualifies us if you are his son, it is that he is the greater messianic king fulfilling the, mess, the, 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 the Davidic covenant. But the qualifications go on in verse 4. I've made him a witness to the peoples. This is essential because Israel in the Old Testament was called to be a witness. She failed, and so God begins again in Christ who is the ultimate witness. Isaiah 49.3. Christ becomes that witness. It was the beginning call to the nation of Israel. They failed, so he picks it up, and he succeeds because of the majesty of who he is. Isaiah chapter 49, in verse 3, call to Christ. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. That Christ is the witness Reveal the glory of God. You and I know that breaks upon us because we are called to be witnesses of God. And we can be because of Christ. We will be because of Christ. Witnesses of God, the majesty of God. Secondly, the qualification in this text, or thirdly, I should say, a leader. We could also translate this prince. Uh, Daniel does in Daniel chapter 9. Messiah, the prince, will come. Christ is that prince, that leader. This word is used in a couple of very instructive places in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 2 and verse 10, speaking of Christ the leader, Christ the prince. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author, the leader, the prince of their salvation through sufferings. Christ, the perfect one, the God-man, is our leader. Every other guide will fail. Every other shepherd will turn back, save our prince, because he's the God-man. He's our Messiah. 
Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, ruler, leader, prince of the kings of the earth, that Christ is the sovereign one. He's qualified to give to us rivers that will never run dry, will never run out, that we never have to pay for, because he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And I do remind you, certainly in our own political world in the United States of America, everyone promises they all come up short. Everyone mad at the other, but our leader, Prince, will never come up short, will never run dry, will never disappoint. Lastly, Isaiah tells us he's the commander of the peoples. This is realized in the fact that he will call the Gentiles and they will come and do him homage, verse 5. The nation which knows you not will run to you. The promise to Isaiah, the coming of the Gentiles, that all may come, Jews will come, Gentiles may come, no qualification, and he's the one to run to. And the promise of the gospel, the gospel will go to Gentiles and they will run to the Savior. Uh, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11 is one such promise. Centurion loses a servant, goes to Christ and says, I've lost my faithful servant, can you come and heal him? Verse 13 tells the centurion, a Roman soldier, a Gentile, go your way, your servant is healed. The streams of water reached the dead servant and raised him, quenched his thirst. Command of Christ the leader, the commander, the captain of our salvation. When all of us uh, suffer incredible vagaries in life, we bring incredible baggage into life, and Christ solves it all. And chiefly in our life and in this day, he heals the heart, confronts the soul, and fixes it. And of course, in the efficacious call of God, He will gather all of his people and none will be lost. The text closes with uh, the imprimatur of God, the blessing of God. The cause of the divine blessing is the Lord God. Because the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you, namely the servant, namely the Messiah, namely Christ. So think of God sending you an invitation telling you that you're not qualified, you have nothing with which he needs from you, inviting you to come to him to meet the deepest needs of your soul and to fix the issues and the brokenness of your soul and that you can come to him and receive all of the blessings that he promises his people and that he has qualified just such a one to fix the sin issues of your life and to set you on the greatest exodus of all time ending in the greatest well of all time, everlasting life in the rivers of the water of life. Perhaps it's a day to come to Christ. And if you've already come to thank God that he met you at that point and chased you unto himself and holds you dear and will see you through to the end and will lead you to the waters of life that will never run out. It's the greatest invitation of all time. In the general call of the gospel, 
by the greatest person of all time at the greatest fair of all time. A table that's set with forgiveness, joy, and peace. A table that we could eat and it will never run out. And we will eat that forever. Joy and forgiveness and peace and our cups will never run dry. What an invitation. What a table. What a Savior. And if you know not him, may God be gracious to you and grant you to come to him whom to know is to know the forgiveness of sin and guilt and life everlasting.